Hi, and welcome back to Fantasy for the Ages, the show where father and son sit down and talk about fantasy literature. I'm Zach, the son in this equation. And that makes me Jim. Well, that alone doesn't make me Jim. I was born that way. But that makes me the father in this scenario. Fair enough. We're excited to have you with us again here as we move into another section of the Eye of the World today. A little bit of business before we get to all of that. Uh, we received our first review. We did. Yes. Yes, we've had ratings, but we now legit have a review written out there on Apple Podcast. Uh, it was with another five-star rating. Whoop, whoop. This time we have a written review by listener Eric Hahn. Eric's been a friend of mine for quite a few years, and we're really glad to have him as a listener. And certainly appreciate the review. Not only is he a listener, he's one of our patrons now on Patreon, and he's with us today. He's listening to our live recording. Hi, Eric. And interacting with us on the text. So... There he is. Hi! You may hear us uh, laughing for odd reasons at times because of something he throws up in front of us. We hope he doesn't throw up in front of us. That would be a little disturbing. Really appreciate supporters uh, who are enjoying this with us. (laughs) There, we've got one. He's ready. He's got game on the Discord. He's ready. So we do appreciate the review, Eric, being it's the very first one. thought we would share it. He writes, fantasy nerd fun. That's accurate. Absolutely. I'm a new reader to Wheel of Time, old friend of Jim's. The podcasts are fueling my desire to keep reading and go deeper into the world of Robert Jordan. Plus, I enjoy listening to Zach challenge his all-knowing father on theories and not back down. That's gold right there. Keep it up, boys. And I definitely plan to keep challenging. I'm sure you will. So again, thanks. Thanks for the review. Thanks for your support. We hope to keep entertaining you and all the others who are listening. We do still have people all over the place who are picking up onto this podcast. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Across the country and international. We're still up there in the top charts for fiction in Norway. Those Norwegians, man, they're loving it. Apparently. And France. France is really racking in the the big downloads. So, merci. Did I say that right? Hopefully. Uh, If they quit downloading, I just blew it. We're not the French speakers in this family. I did take French. Did you? Yeah, in junior high. I learned enough to say, je ne sais pas français. And you lost me already. So public school education for junior high, it it didn't stick. No, it's great. To the best of my knowledge, I learned how to say I don't know how to speak French. (laughs) Well, that's about all you need then. Last week when we did our recording, you were under the weather, my son. Yes. Yes, I still am a little bit, but I'm mostly recovered. Just have a little bit of a cough hanging on as I'm uh, clearing everything out still. No more details than that are needed, right? (laughs) You might still hear a cough or two, but I'm okay. I I was able to edit most of it out, but you're forgiven if it creeps in on occasion. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I mentioned I went on my first uh, road trip last Mm -hmm. week, and uh, now I've got another one coming up this weekend. I'm taking off tomorrow uh, just for a short overnight sticking the feet out in the water of the pandemic still trying not to get sick but you're you're handling it well oh yes yes all socially distanced and fully masked and all that stuff be nice when this is all over but we'll we'll muddle along until then this is how it is so what do you say we distract ourselves from the world of pandemic for a while now and dig into some fantasy content sweet i love it that's why i read all right this week chapters 14 through 16 of the eye of the world 
When we left off, our company of Moraine and Lan, Tom Marilyn, Rand, Matt, Perrin, and Gwaine had all just arrived in the town of Berlon, specifically the fine establishment of... The Stag and Lion Inn. Yes. That's correct? Yes, which the innkeeper says is the best inn in town. And he wouldn't lie. Well, no. I, I think Moraine, Moraine's one who, you know, has a certain caliber of taste yes, standards yes. you know definitely standards a fine lady she wouldn't go to the dump she'd go to the best i mean she would if she was trying to be you know sneaky maybe maybe they are being sneaky here if you recall because they are using aliases lady alice and and her her man what's what's his name he goes by here uh Goodness, way to throw in a question that we don't remember the answer for right now. You've got a book. If you want it, look for it. But we talked about that last time, so I wasn't worried about it. So you do your research for that. I'll continue on. While they're sitting here just getting acclimated into the inn, talking with the innkeeper, we learn a little bit. We learn the inn is nearly full, as are all the inns in town. The place is packed because as winter has released, all the people who work out in the mines, the smelters out there in the in the wilds have come rushing in because it's nasty out there. There's been a lot of wolves and worse. We don't get a lot of details, but wolves and worse. Uh, we're reminded why they're using aliases. Yes. People of Barillon, they don't care for things that are beyond the normal. They like it nice and simple. Uh, so Aes Sedai, Warder, mm -mm, nothing to do with that. No, thank you. Not a fan, especially with the white cloaks in town. Yep, we're reminded they're here and, and that Berlon, the people here don't like white cloaks either. Again, people who are uh, making waves don't like that stuff. Anything that rocks the boat, not welcome in Berlon. So they get in to the inn, literally into the inn. Woo! They're all going to get cleaned up. Nothing like a bath when you've been on the road for a week. Oh yeah. Yeah, roughing it. So, I mean, you can imagine. They don't go in details, but they stink. Come on. Probably. They're dirty. They... So the guys go to the, the guys' bathtub place. The gals are taken somewhere else. I mean, you could call it a bath room. You could. Whole bunch of copper tubs, and they all uh, settle in, get all cleaned up. When everyone's cleaned up, they reconvene. As the guys are coming out, they see down the hall Moraine, who's talking to a girl, young lady, about the same height as Moraine, Hair and clothes like a man. Rand sees us. Yeah. We, we get Rand's point of There's view. a little bit of like, a double take. Yeah, he's like, I, I think that was a girl. Uh, <laughs> a little unusual to see someone dressed like that. But Moraine doesn't say anything about this as they connect. They get settled into a private dining room, all set up for a meal. And once the innkeeper and the staff have left, they get a little piece and, and catch up on some notes. Okay, we're going to learn a little bit about what others have learned. Lan and Moraine emphasize again, we're kind of incognito here, and watch your mouths. You know, don't trust anybody who's not part of the company. I know it's hard. I know you're dumb country folk, but don't talk to people. Yeah. They're not trying to say everyone around us is a dark friend, is evil. But they could be. And they could be just gossips. Yeah. You know, they're going to talk about what they hear. That's what people do. You don't want the wrong people hearing about who they really are or why they're here or that they're being chased by Trollocs and Merdral. And the less people who know anything, the less you have to worry about. Right. Some things that they go over together then. Lan confirms that 
In the common room, he heard there was a battle in Gildan, and Loghain, the false dragon, won. Here in Berylon, there's been no signs of Mergeril or Trollocs, so they should be safe on that count. They're not likely to be attacked imminently by Shadowspawn. And notably, this is the largest town, at least, that they've been to as of yet. It would take a sizable force of Trollocs to be able to just suddenly be overrunning the city. Yeah. It's not huge, but it's big enough. Right. Uh, The White Cloaks, they learn, okay, why are they here? Well, pretty much just to give the governor of Barillon a hard time. Because they're not welcome in Barillon, and they want freedom to go wherever they want and be completely respected. That's their focus right now. They're not looking currently for Aes Sedai or anything. No, they're just trying to harass them into giving them privilege. White Cloak privilege. White Cloak privilege. (laughs) So again, if they just keep their heads down, they ought to be fine. Hearing all that... Moraine says, okay, we've been going hard since we left the Two Rivers. We're going to take an extra day here. We'll spend tonight, tomorrow night, and then the following morning we'll head out. And they're all like, yes! (laughs) We get to sleep. It's going to be great. I look forward to sleep anytime I can get it. Mm, Yeah, yeah. And our our young people are about your age, so you can relate. Yes. I'm a lot older, and I'll still take the sleep whenever (laughs) I can get it. Yeah. As they're also thinking about, we get a whole full day just hanging out in Barillon. These young people, they're gonna, I mean, that's exciting. They can explore what they view as this massive metropolis. Mm-hmm. It's so much bigger than anything they were familiar with. It's a whole new world. Yeah. But okay, the meal's done. They get shown to their rooms. Again, the inn is pretty packed. So, but for the entire company, they're going to get three rooms. Perrin and Matt get a room. Egwene and Moraine get a room, and then Rand gets put in a room with Tom and Lan. They get the three. Three beds, all packed together, pretty much. And Tom and Lan, they throw their stuff down, and they're headed back to the common room. Tom's going to try to entertain, perhaps. Lan is going to try to get more information. Eh, maybe have a brewski. Ale. I suppose it'd be ale. Any of the above. It's uh, alcoholic. Usquai. Okay, we haven't got there yet. Spoiler, sorry. And that clearly wouldn't be here. (laughs) No. (laughs) Rand is like, okay, I'm just, I'm just wiped. So he just lays down on the bed and nothing flat. He's asleep. Oh, yeah. And then he's somewhere else. Great. We see a shift here and this is pretty significant. Next thing we know, Rand's in this stone hallway and he doesn't remember how he got here. He goes exploring Uh, He sees a view outside with a really strange-looking sky, like he's never seen before. A sky that doesn't even look real. He tries a door, finds himself in a room with a man. Now, he doesn't see the man at first. He just looks around the room. There's a fireplace, a table, chair, and then as he looks again, oh, there's a guy. How'd I miss him? Yeah, kind of impossible, but he must have. The man is dressed in fine, dark clothes. He's fit, good-looking. The man turns to Rand and says, Once more we meet face to face. And for an instant, his mouth and eyes become these caverns of flame. And, uh, what? (laughs) Yeah. Rand freaks out, because this is... What exactly? Uh, You look at somebody in their eyes, and suddenly you see a bottomless pit of, of... Hell. And apparently this hellish monster knows you. Yeah. So Rand does what any typical 20-year-old would do. He tries to run away, which makes sense. Turns around, runs back out the door, and he's running right back into the same room. 
It's one of those weird Scooby-Doo moments where you go out one door and back into another, but it's always the same hallway. Exactly, exactly. He tries it again, same result again. Yeah. He realizes, okay, okay, I know what's going on. I must be dreaming. And the man in black responds, is it a dream? Does it matter? Rand asks who the man is, and the response, some call me Baalzamon. Uh-oh. Rand knows that name, kind of. Absolutely. A name for the Dark One. Dark One's evil, right? Yeah. You betcha. You know. Bad news. He's trapped with this man. They're going to have an interaction. And there's a lot in this dream sequence that is really important for later. You don't have a lot of context yet. But rather than trying to summarize it, we're actually going to dramatically read it. Uh, without all the extra details. Just, just the correspondence. The actual talking. And here we go. Are you the one? You cannot hide it from me forever. You cannot even hide yourself from me. Not on the highest mountain or in the deepest cave. I know you down to the smallest hair. Gulp. Are you expecting glory? Power? Did they tell you the eye of the world would serve you? What glory or power is there for a puppet? The strings that move you have been centuries weaving. Your father was chosen by the White Tower, like a stallion roped and led to his business. Your mother was no more than a broodmare to their plans, and those plans lead to your death. My father is a good man. My mother was a good woman. Don't you talk about them. So there is some spirit in you after all. Perhaps you are the one. Little good it will do you. The Amerlin seat will use you until you are consumed just as Devane was used, and Urien Stonebow, and Guer Malasan, and Rayolin Darkspain, just as Loghain is being used, used until there is nothing left of you. I don't know. Uh, you are bound in Sheogul, you and all the Forsaken bound by the Creator till the end of time. The end of time? <laughs> you live like a beetle under a rock. And you think your slime is the universe. The death of time will bring me powers such as you could not dream of, worm. You are bound. Fool! I have never been bound. I stood at Luz Theron Kinslayer's shoulder when he did the deed that named him. It was I who told him to kill his wife and his children and all his blood and every living person who loved him or whom he loved. It was I who gave him the moment of sanity to know what he had done. Have you ever heard a man scream his soul away, worm? He could have struck at me then. He could not have won, but he could have tried. Instead, he called down his precious one power upon himself, so much that the earth split open and reared up Dragon Mount to mark his tomb. A thousand years later, I sent the Trollocs ravening south, and for three centuries they savaged the world. Those blind fools in Tarvalin said I was beaten in the end. But the Second Covenant, the Covenant of the Ten Nations, was shattered beyond remaking. And who was left to oppose me then? I whispered in Arter Hawkwing's ear, and the length and breadth of the land, I said I died. I whispered again, and the High King sent his armies across the Earth Ocean, across the World Sea, and sealed two dooms, the doom of his dream of one land and one people, and a doom yet to come. 
at his deathbed. I was there when his counselors told him only Aes Sedai could save his life. I spoke, and he ordered his counselors to the stake. I spoke, and the High King's last words were to cry that Tarvalin must be destroyed. When men such as these could not stand against me, what chance do you have? A toad crouching beside a forest puddle. You will serve me, or you will dance on Aes Sedai strings until you die, and then you will be mine. The dead belong to me. No, this, this is a dream. It, it's a dream. Do you think you are safe from me in your dreams? Look! And at this point, the man points his finger at a large rat scurrying across the room, crooks his finger, and the rat begins to bend backward. The man bends his finger more and more, and the rat bends more and more until snap! It's dead. Oh, poor rat. We pick up right oh, after that. Anything can happen in a dream. Then go to the Aes Sedai. Go to the White Tower and tell them. Tell the Amerlin seat of this dream. That is one way to escape them. They will not use you then. No, not when they know that I know. But will they let you live to spread the tale of what they do? Are you a big enough fool to believe they will? The ashes of many like you are scattered on the slopes of Dragon Mount. This is a dream. It's a dream and I'm going to wake up. Will you? Will you indeed? And he points his finger at Rand. And I'm going to save everyone's ears and not let out the horrible yes, scream. Yes. Will you ever wake again? And he wakes up. So, uh, you got your excuse to use your drama minor. Yeah. <coughs> And have you ever noticed how often these fantasy dudes talk with a, a slight hokey British accent? No, that's just you. No, it happens, man. It happens. <laughs> Anyways, he's awake now and it's night and he sees he's he's all right. He's just in the same bed where he'd fall asleep. It's all dark. He sees two other mounds sleeping in the other bed. So Lan and Tom are there. And... They're both alive and asleep. Yeah. And he just tries to go back to sleep as he's wondering in his mind. It was just a dream, right? I don't have to say anything. Yeah, should he tell Moraine about the dream? Remember, she did ask a long time ago, you know, if they were having dreams and, and to let her know. Yeah, but what if it wasn't a dream and he's right and telling an Aes Sedai is just a problem that gets me killed? Yeah, that same Aes Sedai who said... I'll kill you if you do this. Before I let the Dark One take you, yeah. Next day, Rand wakes up. Finds the other two are already gone. It's full daylight now. He is stiff and sore and has a headache. <laughs> Not a great way to start the day. Nah. He dresses and after a few moments thinking about it, puts on his sword. And he sees Lan took his sword and he's, yeah. he knows Lan has worn swords around town when he's been there. So he's like, might as well put on my sword. He's been loosely training for a week now. He probably won't cut off his toe. But this is the first time they've spent time in a town since they left and with the sword. So it's kind of a decision thing. And he's like, nah, I, I think it looks right. I, I will wear the sword. Goes down to the kitchen, try to find some food. It's clearly, you know, middle of the morning now. And he walks in on the innkeeper and the cook having an argument. It's a pretty normal argument. They're, if I remember correctly, arguing about the cats and like, whether or not they're successful in killing rats, being successful, but leaving the rats all over the well, place. Well, that's the problem. Yeah, the cat's been really successful because last night there were over a dozen rats found around but just laying just, there. But they just, just like, there. left it. Which is weird. It's like, what's wrong with this cat? 
killing rats and just leaving them. And so weird that they all had broken backs. And Rand's like, what? Wait, you can picture the double take. backs? Just like the dream. Maybe it wasn't a dream. Yeah. Will freaked out now, scarfs down the food. He wants to go talk to somebody about this dream now. And, and he's still not, mm, Maureen, not sure. I, Tom. Tom's the one he's been able to talk yeah, with Tom's already a good guy. about things. So goes to find Tom, figures I'll check the common room, and that's where he finds Tom. Can't talk to him, though. Tom's telling a tale. He's entertaining a crowd already. This time, the t- a tale of the great hunt. The, the hunt for a, the horn. You gotta make a living somehow. That's right. No good there. Well, maybe you can <sighs> find someone else. He learns that uh, everybody is out of the rooms except one. One boy hadn't come down. So he figures, I'll go up to Matt and Perrin's room. One of them might still be there. Mm-hmm. Sure enough, finds Perrin. Because Perrin's the one who stops, thinks, and doesn't quite have the quick urge to go off and explore. But that's not entirely why he's there this time. Perrin doesn't feel very good. He he didn't sleep well, he didn't sleep barely at all, and they discover bad dreams. But truthfully, I think Perrin not feeling well is about as equivalent of how Rand described not really feeling well. And there's a general sense in the description that it's It's like they're hungover. They feel like they've been through it. But as they're kind of touching base, they discover they both had the exact same dream. Okay, that's messed up. And Perrin says, yeah, and Matt had a dream too. He didn't want to talk about it. He just wanted to get out and see the city, he said. But I heard him tossing and turning. I wonder if he had the same dream. It could have been. Now they discuss frankly together. Should we tell Maureen about this dream? Because this is clearly something dark and ooh, Perrin is not inclined. No, not really. And they really do have a little bit of the discussion of, yeah, but what if she kills us? Yeah, they're scared. They don't know what's going on. And then they're not sure they entirely can trust Maureen. Rand tries to get Perrin. Let's let's go out and see the town. You know, let's just leave this behind us and kind of shake off the cobwebs and the aches and pains and maybe, you know, have a little fun. Perrin's like, nah, I'm going to rest a little longer. You go ahead. Yeah, Perrin's good. I mean, sure, it's a town, but Perrin's good. So Rand goes down. Tries to head out for town, and before he can even get clear of the stable guards, a girl stops him. That same one Moraine had been talking to. The one in pants. And she's still in. They don't call them pants. They call them... Trousers? No. No. Uh, oh, wow. Starts with a B. Breeches? Is that right? Or britches. Both of those are words for pants. <laughs> one of those. She's still dressing like a boy. But they have a conversation, and we learn that her name is Min. Hi, Min. And that Moraine spoke to her yesterday, specifically because Min has a talent. Now, it's a talent with a capital T. It's not really one she'd show off at a talent show. That's right, but she can do something special that has nothing to do with the one power. It's just an ability she has. And what it is, as she describes it, and her description comes from kind of talking with Moraine about what this is, she can see pieces of the pattern when she looks at people, little images and stuff that are floating around them. Mm -hmm. And sometimes she knows what they mean. A lot of times she has no idea what they mean, but she can see things. She doesn't see things when she looks at everybody. She always sees things when she looks at an Aes Sedai or a warder. And then other people, for reasons, she will see things sometimes and, and other things not at all. She shares with Rand that, you know, Moraine had specifically asked her, look at them, what do you see? And Rand wants to know, well, what did you see? And she shares, you know, when she looks at the group together, she sees like thousands of sparks swirling all around them. 
and a big shadow hovering over them too. And the sparks seem to be trying to fill the shadow, and the shadow seems to be trying to consume the sparks. That's not ominous or (laughs) (laughs) really telling of anything at all. Yeah. Eric asks on the Discord, he saw Min as a future character in the other books. Will she show up again? Yeah, she'll be around once or twice, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, we think we'll be seeing more of her. Mm -hmm. I mean, both in the sense of we'll see her more often and we'll see more of her. (laughs) okay i'm not wrong (laughs) (laughs) that's right oh we'll see more of her and more of her okay robert jordan makes a point to point out that the only reason that you would be confused about her gender is her clothing she is very womanly looking yes she is yes she is what else do we see she tells him that these these sparks and shadows it's not just around the boys, but it's also Egwene and the Gleeman. Like, they're all part of it, whatever it's this thing is. Everybody. Yes. When she looks at Lan, she sees seven ruined towers around his head. Now, again, foreshadowing, okay? All of these mean something. You have no idea what. This entire chapter is basically foreshadow plus, where you're going to get some things for the rest of the book. And some things for the rest of the series that will not be solved until like the last book. Sometimes fantasy authors make the mistake of putting characters in that are overpowered. They have some abilities that are just crazy too much and and can, you know, slap everyone else silly. Min is close to that, but not because Jordan counters it well. She can see all these amazing things, but has no bloody idea yeah, what they are. Two ways. One, she doesn't know how to interpret it all the time. Yeah. And two... Just because she knows about it doesn't mean she can do anything to stop it. Correct. Well, she, or change you, she it. knows tried. you can't stop it. Right. That's how she's not overpowered. It's a great tool for Jordan to give all this foreshadowing, which have big payoffs later. If you remember to come back and look at this section and then to see, oh, it was all right there. Yeah. All right. So we've got Lan with the uh, seven ruined towers and a babe in a cradle holding a sword. Okay. That's around him. The Gleeman has a man juggling fire. It's not him, just a man juggling fire, and the white tower. Perrin has a wolf, a broken crown, and trees flowering around him. Matt has a red eagle, an eye on a balance scale, a dagger with a ruby, a horn, and a laughing face. Yeah, none of those have anything to do with Matt's story moving forward. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. It's really, like, disconnected. I don't see the connections anywhere all right i have to admit the first time i read this though i read all this stuff and then it went right out of my head and i didn't remember that all of this was laid out so well as i went through it wasn't until i reread one of those like, is oh! in the penultimate book yeah but so for people who are with us who this has been your first time through the series we are doing them such a favor to highlight this is important make note remember it so that you enjoy the payoffs better later or we're ruining it for you because you'll be looking uh-huh, for these things. Because uh-huh, we're not telling what it means. See, we're not. Remember, spoiler light. That's well, us. We okay. try. And then Rand. A sword that isn't a sword. A golden crown of laurel leaves. A beggar's staff. Rand pouring water out on sand. A bloody hand and a white hot iron. Three women standing over a funeral beer with him on it. Funeral what? Beer. It's pronounced beer? Like the drink? So. Yeah. Beer. B-I-E-R. Pretty sure. If we're wrong, Eric can correct us on Discord. That's that's a point. <laughs> or anybody will definitely correct us by our email or in the comments. And there's a number of words that are used in similar places or ways, 
that I like better because I know how to say them. And then the penultimate of what she sees, the lightning. There's lightning around him, there's some striking him, there's some coming out of him, and she sees all this stuff. It's like a ton of stuff around Rand. You said that was the penultimate. What's the ultimate? I thought the penultimate is beyond the ultimate. No, the penultimate is the one right before the last. No. Yep. Serious? The penultimate book in this series is the 13th of 14. Really? Yes. Don't you mean the 14th of 15? Only if you are including the... Uh, New Spring. Yeah, Which prequel. Which you need to count, yeah. But that doesn't count as like book 11. It counts as like book point five. All right, all right. Point made. I guess then the ultimate is that she does know something about Rand. She says that these things I'm seeing, one thing it reveals to me is that we will meet again. So there you go, Eric. Min says she'll be back. Rand finds all this very confusing, and he actually kind of makes excuses then to duck away out of the conversation. She's laughing as he goes off. Wandering then through Barillon, he's a bit awestruck at how big and complex it is. He's thoroughly enjoying wandering and seeing, you know, you can imagine with these big eyes, just looking at all this stuff. Whoa, there are buildings more than two stories tall. Yes, and so many people. And then one of those people he sees is this dirty, bony little man kind of working his way through the crowd. And Rand could swear it looks like the peddler from back in Emma's field, Todd and Fane. I've been seeing him like every year, once a year. And when the man sees Rand, he like stops in mid-step and Rand knows it is Pat and Fane. Rand tries to speak to him and Fane just takes off running the other direction. Uh, okay, so Rand, kind of surprised, chases after him. Finally catches up to him in a dead-end alley. Fane, you know, okay, we're, we're face-to-face. Rand is really happy to see him. It's like, we thought you were dead because you disappeared, you know, at the Trolloc attack. And they have a, a little interaction here. And then Fane runs away. It's a weird, awkward interaction. <laughs> it is, it's, it is. Fane is very twitchy. He's not... When I mean, we first Rand just were... wants to, you know, come on back to, yeah. to the inn, you know, we can help you. We're at the Stag and Lion, come with us. But when we're first introduced to him as a character, he seems very charismatic and big about himself. And here he's very shriveled, small, hiding. Yeah. It's weaselly in a way that is not... Times have been better for Pat and Fane. Yeah. It's a little suspicious. Yeah. So when Fane rushes away again, <laughs> Rand tries to follow him again, but this time runs into Matt. Hi, Matt. Literally runs smack into his back. Matt and Rand share notes. Matt had also seen Pat and Fane, hadn't been able to interact with him. But so, okay, wow. Pat and Fane's here. Who knew? And, well, notably, that's a little crazy because they've been going really fast to get here. Yeah, yeah, good point. And Pat and Fane was also in the two rivers just the same day they were. Clearly coming as hard and as fast as they have. Must have just gotten really scared of those Trollocs. That, That must be why he looks so out of it. Could be, could be. Matt and Rand also touch base on the dream and confirms, yep, Matt had the same dream. We had some three-person shared lucid dreaming. Yeah, this is kind of crazy. So maybe we should talk to Moraine, but no, they agree maybe we should talk to Tom about the dream. Because apparently a glee man is going to know more, or at the very least isn't going to kill them. Well, and keep in mind, Baal Zaman, speaking in the dream to all of them, really cast doubts on Aes Sedai. Yes, because the Dark One, or who you think is the Dark One, is a trustworthy source of information. <laughs> That's where the I get all my of news lies from. is one of his name as well. But is he lying? Oh, yes. Kind we of. We don't know. We don't know. So at this point, they're wandering a little further into town. Rand's just not feeling well. 
he seems to be kind of going downhill. His head hurts, thinks he's maybe coming down with a cold. While in that condition, Matt and Rand come upon three white cloaks walking along. This is the first time we actually personally meet them, yes? We've heard of them, but we have not seen them until this moment. We learn why they have the name White Cloaks. Their cloaks are white. They're literally dressed fully in white in these big white cloaks. It's, uh, I always got the image of, like, Klansman-esque. Yeah. Not quite with the hoods, but... Yeah, no hoods. It, it's got kind of that theme to yeah, it. maybe. Certainly people don't like them. And they have certain extreme prejudices as well. So as they're moving through the town, there's like a bubble of space around them. Nobody wants to get in their way. Nobody wants to interact with them. They're all not even trying to look at them. Matt gets this mischievous look in his eye. We know Matt because he sees something he can do. He just leaves Rand, says, watch this. And he ducks into a nearby building. Moments later, his head pops up out a window up above in the attic. And he's swinging his sling. And he shoots this at a wagon that has some barrels on it and just hits it just right. It's, if I remember, it's like propped up with a little stick spoke. Yeah. And he hits that prop with, with his sling just as the white cloaks are walking nearby. I wanted to point out that it was held with that just because that's a good shot. He's at least 20, 30 feet away by hey, being these above two rivers it and boys, from man, you know, They've got aim. So he hits that. And these barrels come falling out, and they get splattered with mud. Now everybody around is like, oh. Rand is like, oh. <laughs> He just busts out laughing. The Not exactly cloaks, subtle about yeah, it. Yeah, the white cloaks don't seem to appreciate that. And this leads to an altercation between, a verbal altercation between Rand and the white cloaks. Rand, feeling somewhat emboldened, actually bluffs large a little bit, even Rand. flashes his Heron Mark sword. Rand reacts really stupidly, but the fact that he just happens to have that Heron Mark sword on his side keeps him from actually being in a real fight. Perhaps. It might have gone further, though, but then the town watch shows up. And okay, the White Cloaks move along. They don't want to get in any official trouble with the law. Rand felt an odd, tingling sensation through all of that. It was weird. His actions, illogical. It's like he, it's trying to pick a fight and Matt rejoins him and is like, what the heck is wrong with you? I mean, yes, I did a prank, but you weren't supposed to... We were supposed to run. Yeah, yeah. Enjoy quietly? Yeah, the point is that we don't get caught. They head back to the inn. Yes. Along the way, they come upon Tom Marilyn. And he's drumming up business for entertaining that evening. They start talking to him about the dream right away. And he's like, shh. Because he meant they mentioned Beelzebub. We had this guy named Beelzebub in my dream. Don't say this out loud in front of everybody. It's a flashback to the previous night when Moran's going, hey, don't be stupid and say things out loud where people can hear. Yeah, they are young and stupid. It comes up again and again. But they've never been anywhere. They, you know, they don't know. They get back to the inn, and now they go through the rest of the story. They mention the names of the people Balzaman uh, said. The Aes Sedai used its puppets, like Guerra Malasan and even Loghain. And Tom, he knows these names. And he knows that the White Tower may or may not have used them, but confirms, and I think he does confirm in this moment, they mostly are people who at various times were considered false dragons. Yep. The, the Aes Sedai may have been responsible for killing them. Indeed, it's possible. But they were all, yeah, known in history as false dragons. The final emphasis of their conversation is that Rand and Matt should, under no circumstance, trust Aes Sedai. Because reasons yeah tom feels rather strongly about that he doesn't really get into the details too much but it seems like you know 
maybe we should trust them. So as Perrin had also had the same dream, now they have some urgency that, okay, we're being told, don't tell Moraine. Let's get back to Perrin and make sure he doesn't tell Moraine. You know, if he was thinking things through like he does and he worked it out that maybe I should tell her, they want to stop him. He might have realized it would be responsible. Running back to try to get to Perrin, they run into Perrin running out to try to find them because there's a visitor in the inn. And Perrin's going, hey guys, shit, Nynaeve's here. <laughs> the wisdom of Emmonsfield, Nynaeve, she brought her has stick. caught up with them. She's got to hit us over the head with it. I'm not excited. That moves us to the last chapter for today. They're at the inn now. First thing, as the returning Min shows up again, drags Rand aside. And she reveals that that woman with the braid that just showed up, who we know is Nynaeve, is part of this too. Those sparks... It's all around her, too. And I think she even says when she looks at just Nynaeve and Moraine, the sparks that the two of them make is bigger than the entire group was yesterday. Oh, there's no foreshadowing there. Sparks between the two of them? Yeah, no foreshadowing. Maybe just a little. (laughs) Foreshadowing that plays out pretty quickly. Rand is like, uh, thanks. But again, disengages, moves to the rest of the group, and they find the room where Nynaeve and Moraine sitting. I think it's that same private dining room again. And they're sitting at either end of the table, staring daggers at each other. So which one gets the head and which one gets the foot? Moraine would be at the head. I'm sure Nynaeve would say she's at the head. Probably. And ready to fight you over it. Oh, yeah. Lan, smartest thing he could be doing is standing off to the side, not getting in the way. (laughs) Slowly, all the Emmonsfield folk and Tom, they all settle in around the table. And then a conversation takes place. It comes out that Nynaeve followed their trail all the way to Barillon on behalf of the women's circle and sort of the village council. Though she didn't actually wait long enough for the village council to make up their mind about what we should do about these kids that ran off. It was more the village council was deciding that and she went, no, 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 I'm just going. I'm just going. These are my people. I'm going to get them back. Lan is impressed that Nynaeve managed to track them. Oh, yeah. He's been covering their trail well. Plus, we read it multiple there's times. been certain one power ways to hide their trail from the Shadow Spawn. And yet, little Nynaeve. Boom. Here she is. Okay, we're going back, guys. Basically, grab your stuff. Let's go. And they all explain, we can't do this. But four reasons. <laughs> Nynaeve responds with exasperation that they all sound like Tam. Tam apparently had argued that they needed to leave with Moraine and Lan, and Tam would follow eventually. Yeah, we're back with the argument of knowing that Tam is a good father, period. And that he knows more than everybody else in Emmonsfield oh, yeah. about the world and all these things. The conversation, it's just very, very tense. From Nynaeve's point of view, it's quite unsatisfactory because they are not just doing what she says. And she's used to them doing what she says. She's the boss. In the end, it becomes very clear they will not be returning to Emmons Field, so she will have to accompany them then to keep them safe until they do return home. It's a, well, if you're not coming with me, I'm coming with you. Yep. I don't think that sits real well with Moraine. I don't think it sits real well with most people. Yeah. One last piece of information we get shared right at the end of the chapter is that something Rand already suspected. Nynaeve, being a little older than Rand, does confirm in a conversation with him that he was not born in the Two Rivers. That they came back with him. Yeah. Tam had spent time outside the Two Rivers, married an outlander, returned already with this baby and his wife. 
So again, going back to worries he's been having about Tam and maybe not really being his father and, oh man, they brought me back as a baby, so I wasn't even born there. Ugh, what does this mean? At the very least, you're not natively from the Two Rivers. Sorry. Yep. Well, that's where we end today. That's, that's our three chapters. Come back next week to explore our next section with us, which will be chapters 17, 18, 19, and 20. Until then, we want to remind everybody again, of course, please subscribe, rate, and review us. Like our fine, fine listener, Rand. Uh, Rand. Wow. I called Eric Rand. Look at that. <laughs> you hear that? <laughs> you know, you get is, to be Rand now. He's tall and thin. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of like Rand, right? Oh, he's honored. He's uh, still plowing along, too. His first time through, he says he's halfway through the Great Hunt. Enjoying the character arcs. Yeah, everybody, if it's your first time, keep reading. Good stuff. And if you stay ahead of us here, then we don't spoil anything too badly, which is great. We hope you have subscribed, that you do rate and review us. Uh, you can write to us your thoughts, anything you're agreeing with or vehemently disagreeing with. Fantasyfortheages at gmail.com is our regular email. You can also connect to us on social media. Just finding us at Fantasy for the Ages on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Or if you want to connect with us talking like Eric is here through Discord and Patreon to talk with us live. Yes, yes. People who support us on our Patreon page, you get the perks, and one of them is join us for live recordings, interact with us all the way through. I don't have anything else that comes to mind to say today. You, any any last hot take? You haven't had a hot take in a while, Zach. I don't know. It's been been a cold section of the book in that sense. Oh, it has not. No, I mean, I've... It had a woman dressed as a man who looks like a woman, which apparently we're going to see more of. Yeah. Come on. Come on. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's not cool. That's my hot take. That's hot. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. I guess that's where we'll wrap it up. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Eric, on the Discord. He's still getting over his cold take. Nice. All right, guys. We'll talk to you next time.